What a great day it is to come together for the purpose we have. As, it been, as has been mentioned in our prayer and the songs that we've sung, it's been a glorious morning already to this point, and yet we can open the Word of God and also be challenged and led by it, encouraged by it. And I hope that you have your Bible. We'll be referring to a number of passages this morning. The title of the lesson, as you can tell on the wall to my left, has to do with an explicit quotation from Psalm 100, verse 5. Be thankful unto Him. Our topic today will surround the idea of thanksgiving and thankfulness. And I'm sure that some of the thoughts of this week, being Thanksgiving week, certainly caused us to rest in some way upon our thinking on those topics. These introductory thoughts will motivate us and to get us going this morning. The joy of our time together, the sheer gladness that fills our heart, as we think about the opportunity to worship, brings us to appreciate that lovely psalm that we noticed a moment ago. Lucas read to us from the 100th Psalm, and keeping that open on your lap there, we'll be referring to a number of the features of that during the course of our lesson today. It might be interesting to notice that that word thanks or thanksgiving, it occurs almost 140 times in the Bible. As those words occur, often they have such a beautiful context as it encourages and in fact even demands that those who are involved would express thanksgiving unto God. We're going to think about that topic this morning. I suppose it's fair to say that the Thanksgiving holiday has a rather storied history. You and I all know about how it harkens us back to the days the pilgrims came over from, from Europe and as they often, in, in fact, suffered hardships in winter, finally the time came that they were so incredibly thankful for the coming of supplies. All of that happened hundreds of years ago, of course. You and I know that, at least as of today, that several years ago, I think it was in the midst of really what amounted to um, the 1940s, that the time came that our government chose to make a nationally recognized holiday we're about to celebrate that this coming Thursday, if God permits things to take place till then. But Thanksgiving, isn't it somewhat sad that even though that thought is so ingrained in the Word of God and it's so demanded of us, I suppose from a secular standpoint, that holiday has sometimes devolved into nothing more than this. A time to eat too much and watch a few football games and get ready to shop. Well, I hope that among other things today, we can at least be reminded of the biblical teaching of it and use that all throughout the year to express proper and appropriate thanksgiving unto Him. As we close that slide, Psalm 100 again begins like this. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Immediately of note that among those two verses are thoughts that bring us to this observation. Wouldn't it be fair to say that based on that text and so many others, a critical element, in fact the most basic one in regard to thanksgiving, is the attitude. One could easily express the words by way of thanksgiving from the mouth, but yet if it doesn't come from the heart, if it isn't an appreciation of the mind, then of course there's something lacking. And isn't it true here? Verse 1 made mention of a joyful noise. It was a glad appreciation in the heart of ancient Israel. In fact, in those who were addressed here, you should be excited about this. 
to appreciate the magnitude of your blessings and understand the one from whom they come. Verse 2 says, Serve the Lord with what? With gladness. May I ask, are you happy today? May I ask, is all well with you and sufficient so that you have a deep-seated sense of contentment because God has been so good to you? I suppose all of us have every right to have a lengthy list and we're so often in a position to express by way of prayer our thanksgiving unto the God who makes that possible. You noticed as you looked at those opening two verses, they were stated as if they were commandments. Make a joyful noise, he said. Serve the Lord with gladness. As you and I use those thoughts, you'll notice this wasn't by any means the only time. Look back to Psalm 98, verse number 4. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord all the earth. Make a loud noise and rejoice and sing praise. Now as the psalmist penned these words, you and I can take in the mind of our eye back centuries to appreciate culture was far different back then. The particulars of life were very different. And yet they also appreciated by way of the reality of the moment that they had every right to make a joyful noise unto God. Because look what He's done for us. Israel was admonished in many ways, count your blessings and understand how good God has been. Is it any different for you and me today? We serve beneath a better covenant. Especially in this country, oh, how physically blessed we have been and still are. Isn't it true as you look at those things then, that helps us notice there was a command ingrained in this. Serve the Lord with gladness. It wasn't to be a dreary exercise. It wasn't to be a particular in which they dreaded to do it. It was to be a service with gladness. Have you come today to this service with a glad heart, appreciative and thankful for what the blessings of the past week and the weeks before have been, understanding that the very bountiful hand of God has allowed you and me in so many ways to exist in a time and place so much, physically at least, better than many other peoples around this globe. There are people this very morning who, it's true, they're gathering to worship just like you and I are, but they may have to do so in dark and damp in places that are very less comfortable than this one. Maybe they've had to come hungry. It's not that they chose not to eat breakfast. There was no breakfast to eat. It's not that they have no lunch to look forward to. It's simply that they simply have not the means to provide it. And yet, perhaps with a joyful and glad heart, they've assembled and they sing from the depths of their heart thanksgiving to God for the fact of Christianity that they enjoy. Are you and I thankful? The psalmist here admonishes you and me, serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. We've sung songs together already this morning about the hour of prayer. Isn't that a great blessing? We sang about how that there's coming a time when all of God's singers get home. We are looking forward to that, aren't we? That hope doesn't rest in us just happenstantially. It rests in us because the Word of God has dictated it so, and in our fullest confidence and assurance of that, how thankful indeed we can be. As you look forward to also these passages, 
the New Testament is no less beautifully presenting of this truth. We've often noted it, but it never ceases to be so stunningly meaningful. When Paul penned the book of Philippians, four chapters only, and yet as he who wrote that, he himself was in prison. Paul was not in, shall we say, the friendly confines of some modern penal institutions. Prisons of the Roman Empire were very harsh. Prisons in the days in which Paul experienced them were exceedingly difficult. And in the midst of that, he pinned that church to the, to, to the congregation at Philippi and said, Rejoice in the Lord. Always, and again I say rejoice. Paul felt himself reason for rejoicing, Philippians 1, verses 17 and following, and he was in prison. We see that very attitude exhibited in Acts chapter 16, do we not? Paul and Silas in a Philippian jail. And at midnight, what were they doing? Praying and singing. I wonder if you and I found ourselves in those kind of predicaments, imprisoned maybe because we'd been faithfully true to the Lord Jesus Christ, would we have a temperament of singing and praying? Or would we be more apt to perhaps proclaim, Woe is me for where I am. Woe is me. Why doesn't God deliver me? Well, may I suggest, surely a a fantastic thing to notice what they were doing. As you and I come near the close of that slide, may I call to your attention at least another verse or two reminding us about the exquisiteness of this attitude. The shortest verse in the New Testament in Greek is 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Rejoice evermore. I suppose it's more tempting to rejoice at certain times, but when the times become challenging or hard, are you and I as quick to rejoice? Are we as quick to, in fact, at that moment rest more reliably upon the trustworthiness of our God? We're told there to rejoice evermore. Surely it is with that thought in mind, Paul proses yet another example in Colossians 1.12. He again, still in prison at the time the Colossian letter was written, but he nonetheless said, I thank my God for you. He was so thankful for the church of our Lord. These opening thoughts of our lesson this morning have been surrounding the topic of our attitude, but with it comes some more lessons from Psalm 100. As we turn the slide to the next one, let's now make a very brief listing of some major matters that the inspired writer lists, and may we ask about the applications of them. What was the psalmist of Psalm 100 most thankful for, and how did he say it? And what about you and me today? First point is this one. Verse number three. Know ye that the Lord, He is God. One of the most impressive appreciations resting upon the mind of the psalmist was, and that for which he was so thankful and so happy and so glad, was the God whom he served. I began those thoughts as you look on that slide in this way. We have all experienced circumstances in which we submit to somebody else, perhaps a manager, a boss, an overlord, an employer of some form. And it's true that there are times when the characteristics that those individuals display often fall short of what one would hope. Perhaps they're short-sighted. 
Maybe they're petty. Maybe on occasion they exhibit characteristics sometimes of plain old apathy and indifference and sometimes even evilness. Aren't you thankful you don't serve a God like that? Aren't you thankful the God whom you and I serve is never petty, He's never evil, He never lies, He is always a God who is completely given to what is in our best interest. The psalmist was thankful for God like that. I'd submit we should be too. Those thoughts you'll see following on that slide ask us to notice verse number 5 of this same chapter. For the Lord is good. Sometimes we use that word good in such a broad consideration, but we know its perfect exposition has to do with God. God is good. And you'll notice as the psalmist made that observation, that was one of the main reasons why he was so thankful for God. He's good. And may I suggest that so many additional verses in the Bible point that truth out to us again. In Luke 18, there was occasion when a rich young ruler came to Jesus and he in fact complimented him with a statement that he's good and the Lord quickly encouraged him to notice there's none good but one and that's God. Later in James 5 verse 17, or rather James 1 verse 17, the writer there on that occasion pointed out, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Did you notice another description of God? There's no turning in Him. There's no variability in Him. Aren't you thankful you serve a God who is constant day in and day out and week after week? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13, 8. I'm thankful for God like that, aren't you? Sometimes humans can be whimsical, fanciful, often overlooking the truth, but yet it isn't so with God. As you look forward on that slide... This God whom we serve is motivated perfectly by love. He really does want what's in your and my best interest. And in His judgment is never clouded in that way either. That love you'll notice in 1 John 4 verse 8, God is love. And it's a love, as you can see from Jeremiah 31, 3. It's prompted even in the days of the Old Testament when in regard to Israel, God said, I acted toward you in love. May you and I never forget that truth. And not only is that true, notice what else the psalmist wrote. Verse number 5 says, His mercy is everlasting. Mercy is, of course, a description of that attribute of God in which He doesn't give us what we deserve. He doesn't. As a vile sinner, as one who has transgressed His will, death is what we deserve, and yet He offers to us through the blood of His Son the sweet opportunity of eternal salvation. He's merciful. Paul knew well about that mercy and often commented concerning it. You'll notice as we come near the close of that slide, this God that we serve is the God of truth. May we not overlook that too quickly. From time to time, our world looks rather disdainfully upon truth as if such a thing doesn't exist, but you and I know better than that. Because God is a God of truth, Deuteronomy 32, 4. 
And we notice even Jesus more than once made statements like these, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. John 17, 17. And so it is that that truth is such that God upholds it and looks with such power upon it. May you and I do the same. One more thing and then that slide will close. God's faithful. Faithful. And aren't you thankful that He is? He's true to His Word. He always is true to His will. And He always is such that that will shall be accomplished. You and I would do well then to be submissive servants to it so that we can be instruments in the hand of the powerful and mighty God. Because if we refuse, His will shall still be accomplished, but we'll be on the wrong end of it. He's faithful. Paul could write in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 9, God is faithful. Can't you think of occasions in your life when His faithfulness has taken top priority and you've learned valiant lessons because of it? May I submit, one of the things for which we should be so thankful, not only at this season but always, is that the God we serve. But not only that, the psalmist here was thankful for more than just God. Let's turn the slide and note the following. Verse 3 continues by saying this, Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that hath made us, and not we ourselves. Now remember, that was written long before Jesus came to this earth. Long before the Lord died at Calvary. It is He that hath made us, and not we ourselves. Israel was of the same position to be able to say, Who made us? And by what form had, did we come about? This slide is an attempt to develop some of those appreciations from the perspective of history. A thousand years or more before the Psalm 100 was written, God had made statements, promises if He pleased to Abraham. Genesis 22:18 says, "...in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice." A promise made to him that all nations, all families would be blessed through him. When you and I appreciate that, of course, centuries had passed. And God had been faithful and true to those promises and the nation of Israel had come about. They'd been brought out of Egypt. They'd been established in Canaan. You'll notice as you look at that slide, why is it that that had happened? Was it because of Israel's greatness? Was it because of Israel's numerous might? Was it because of their innate knowledge and wisdom? And the answer is none of it. In Deuteronomy 7 verses 9 and 10, God says, This happened because I chose you. I picked you. And because of that, they were the recipients of that grand set of blessings from God. And in them, they had the opportunity to be that beautiful and powerful instrument on earth for the goodness of God. God picked them. May I ask that you transition with me to a lesson today about that. Isn't that same parallel true of us today? Would you read with me Ephesians 2, verses 8, 9, and 10? In the heart of the New Testament, as Paul addressed the church at Ephesus, it was to them, it says, By grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. 
We are His workmanship, my friends. As Christians, we're His workmanship. We can't claim to have merited or made ourselves that which we are today. We simply humbly obeyed His commandments, and His power has cleansed us from sin through the blood of Christ. And aren't you thankful? I know I stand before many who are Christians, and aren't you thankful? The psalmist again put it like this, It is He that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We stand today as those who are exhibit A of what Jesus makes possible. Oh, it's true, we still have our faults, and we still make poor decisions, and we do that on occasion which we shouldn't. But as Christians, we are the redeemed of the Lamb. We are those washed in that precious blood of Christ. We can't claim to have accomplished that by ourselves. When we, in fact, submitted to the act of baptism, it was the blood of Christ that cleansed us in that regard. The psalmist again said, not we ourselves. As you look at some of the additional things on that slide, could I call to your attention those sweet descriptions and those refrains you'll notice in John 1 verse 12. We each know how great it is to be a member of God's family. How'd that come about? Did you just choose that you wanted to be a part of it? Of course not. We all know the head of that family had to make the decision to allow you and I to become members of it. In John 1 verse 12, we were born into that family. You'll notice furthermore in other passages such as Romans 8 verses 14 and following, because we're members of that family, we have the expectation of inheritance. Inheritance. You and I know that's of course eternal life. Inheriting an eternal home in heaven. Aren't you thankful? Oh, how we should be. One last passage you'll notice is Galatians 3, verses 26 and following, where Paul made the very direct statement to that congregation. Wasn't it to them, he said, You're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now the psalmist, of course, couldn't make any statements like that because that was long before Jesus had come. But today, isn't it true? We have every right to consider the parallel that it's not we ourselves that have made us of this form, but it's the power of God working in and through us. Closing that slide, you'll note this. Isn't it also true that this attribute of thanksgiving will make in us a strong fortification against a life of sin. May I submit to you, if we're truly thankful to God for washing us in the blood of His Son and for allowing us to live in a saved condition, we'll be less likely to fall back into a life of sin habitually. We'll be less likely to turn over that leaf and move in a direction that's opposed to God because in thanksgiving we'll not let that happen. May I suggest we all continue to be thankful Thankful to God, for God and His character, but thankful for the spiritual creation He's made in and of us. Carrying that thought further, let's look at the next idea, also taken from verse 5. Again, beginning in verse 3, Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. 
Point number three, the church. I took that based on that statement, that premise found in that text were His people. In the Old Testament days, wasn't it true? The Jews were separate. They were distinct. They were the very individuals who were, of course, the descendants of Abraham through Jacob. And as such, they were the recipients of promises, blessings, responsibilities, and rights. Those same promises weren't given to the other peoples of the earth. What about today? Does God have a people today? Does He have a chosen people? Those who could say we're His people. We know that that answers yes. As we read the pages of the New Testament, we understand well that God has purchased a people. They're His people. And that you and me as Christians, may I submit, we should be eternally thankful for the church, that we can be a member of it, a part of that body. Let's develop that with some of these appreciations. In 1 Peter 2, verse number 9, perhaps the most exquisite statement to this point in the New Testament as the Apostle Peter wrote to those who themselves were in very dire circumstances, suffering beneath the load of persecution, nonetheless they were reminded and admonished to appreciate the fact of who they were and why they were that way. I've in fact copied a few of the explicit statements. You, he said, are a chosen generation. What's that? You've been chosen. Not only that, you are a royal priesthood. May we as Christians never think that we're not special. Now again, it's not because of the specific attribute of our character and knowledge, but it's because of what God has made in and for us. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. A peculiar people. Now in the actual Greek text, that peculiar people phrase means literally a people of God's possession. That's you and me. And we should be thankful for that. Because that means in as much as we're His chosen people, we're members of that body the church, we have access to that full range of the greatness of those spiritual blessings and promises. The church, after all, is the greatest institution the world has ever known. Only they were the ones to be saved. Jesus is the Savior of the body, Ephesians 5.23. And that church of which we read is such that there is but one of these things, one body, Ephesians 4.4. 4. It might well be in light of that you'll notice how beautifully the honor is described in Colossians 1.13. You and I have Christians, Christians have been translated out of a world of darkness into the blessed body of God's dear Son. That's a fantastic, phenomenal description. That world of darkness is covered over with the pursuit of Satan and all the ugly things that go with it. And yet in that beautiful church, we follow the Master, the one who loved us so much He died for us. Notice then Paul could say, The churches of Christ salute you, Romans 16, 16. And Jesus could say, I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Even the bars of death were unable to quench and remove the greatness and grandeur of that church of our Lord. One final thought would be in 1 Peter 1, verses 3, 4, and 5. 
written expressly to those again suffering beneath the load of affliction and difficulty. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, reserved in heaven for you. Now that wasn't written to the world at large. That was written to Christians, to those who are members of the church. May I say, you and I have reservations made for heaven. May we live faithful to them in honor of what they represent and mean. Closing that slide, you'll notice then, this prompts us to ask a good question. And I would ask each of us to reflect on it. Do you and I serve God then with gladness like we noted in verse 2? Look at what He's done for us. Do you consider it a weariness to serve God? Do you consider it a drudgery to attend the services? Do you and I look upon it as something I just have to do? I sure wish I could be somewhere else. If so, shame on me and shame on you. We ought to be thankful. May I submit that one of the things that will never happen is on the day of judgment that someone was going to wish that they'd been somewhere else besides the worship services. They're going to express a strong desire that they had been able to be somewhere else. That won't happen. Their heart will pour forth the words of appreciation and thanksgiving for what the blood of Christ has done. And oh, how the gladness will pour forth from their being. You may notice then, in light of that, there were some times in the Bible when there were some who had the nerve to ask questions like this. And God didn't look upon it very favorably. In Malachi 1, they considered it a weariness to gather for worship. They really did. They considered it a drudgery. It was a bothersome inconvenience to them. And we all know how that worked out too. God told them in that book of Malachi, your heart's not in it. And as such, I'm going to withhold the blessings of heaven from you. May you and I be wiser than that. We notice in Isaiah chapter 1, again, the people chose to do the same thing. It didn't work out very well then either. They headed off into Babylonian captivity. May you and I be thankful. And as we close that slide, one final point in the lesson is yours. So far as we've looked at Psalm number 100, so many elements have been listed and the psalmist felt a keen appreciation and thanksgiving. And finally, our fourth point of the day. Notice verses 4 and 5. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Be thankful unto Him and bless His name. For the Lord is good, His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endureth to all generations. You noticed among the descriptions of this brief hundredth psalm has been the fact that not only are we His people, but we're said to be the sheep of His pasture. We're said to be these who are able to enter into His fold with thanksgiving. May I ask you to consider the pasture reference? A pasture is where we put a goat or a cow or some animal, and there's provision and sustenance there for them. The psalmist said, we're the sheep of His pasture. God has provided so much. 
you and I know that His physical blessings and abundance have truly been bountiful in our direction. In fact, as you'll notice on that slide, there's a song that was written many years ago and it's been remade many, many times. The song has as its title, God has been so good to me. I'd like to read some of the words of that song. Maybe you've heard it. I've always had a place to sleep, clothes to wear and food to eat. God has been so good to me. I thank you, Lord, for mom and dad and all the friends on earth I've had. God has been so good to me. Verse number two goes like this. Thank God I live where men are free, where there's love and liberty. God has been so good to me. If all I had He took away, then I still would have to say, God has been so good to me. And the chorus goes like this. God has been so good to me, and I'm thankful for a fine family, the little church that I attend and all my Christian friends. God has been so good to me. Many of us could add so many additional specifics and particulars to that, but I thought the words of the song were prompting to remind us, even physically, aside from the spiritual blessings, look at how much God has done. Are you and I thankful? I would ask you to notice that not only should we appreciate that, but God wants us, in fact demands us, that we express thanksgiving to Him. It isn't enough just to be mentally aware that He has given it to us. He wants us to tell Him how thankful we are. Could I call to your attention verses like these, Colossians 3.17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks unto God and the Father by Him. Notice that verse ends with that same statement, giving thanks unto God and the Father by Him. To that we might add Luke 17, verses 11 and following, where the scene is so memorable. There were some lepers that came to Jesus, and the Lord healed them. One of them returned to express His thanks, and it was the Lord who asked, Were there not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Where are the nine? Maybe you and I should appreciate very clearly Jesus expected, desired, in fact, wanted them to express thanksgiving. Do you and I do that enough? Closing that slide, we might note this. Isn't it true that some of the most shameful displays of sin in the Bible followed ingratitude? That is to say, when individuals were not thankful, they soon degenerated into some of the most terrible behaviors In Romans 1, verses 20 and following, the statement is therein made that here were Gentiles who on that occasion were such that they had become unthankful. And what happened? Well, we know how the rest of the chapter describes things like homosexuality, murders, various and sundry elements in disobedience, but all of it followed a failure to be thankful. If you and I remain thankful to God, it will help to keep at bay a proper heart and a sense of proper direction in life. As we come to the conclusion slide this morning, our command takes us back to Psalm 100, verse number 4. Be thankful unto Him. May I suggest that's a commandment 
And its wording, though written in the Old Testament, is found so often in the New. In verses like Ephesians 5, verse 20, we're told, Give thanks unto God. Reiterated, as you can well tell also in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18, It is the will of God that we be thankful to Him. Today, if you're not a member of the body of Christ, don't you want, with a heart full of appreciation and thanksgiving, to allow God to make of that in you today? Believe in Jesus with all of your heart. Repent of your sins, confess His name, and be baptized. If you have known the sweetness of walking in the way of truth, but have erred from it in a public way, come back today to your first love. Be thankful for the blood of Christ that still can and will cleanse you. But you just need to repent and confess those errors. If today we could be of assistance, of help in one of these ways, we would like each of us certainly to appreciate even now. May we be thankful unto God because of His character, because of the church, because of the nature of the spiritual creation in us, and because of the bounty of our, of our physical blessings. Today, if we could be of help to anyone in your public obedience, why not? Let us be of assistance and do it at once while together we stand and while we sing.